All right, this is a real quick note. For the holidays, we hope that your grievances have been aired, but we're on vacation ourselves. So listen to this replay of 2017's visit with Oleg and Institution Brewing for his Festivus Feast of Strength beer. And don't forget that both the Maltos Falcons Doug King competition and Tokes Romancing the Beer Comp is coming up in short order. Get your entries in! Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. So tomorrow is the start of that annual celebration of all things American craft beer, the Great American Beer Festival. And one of my favorite aspects of it is the Pro-Am competition that occurs every year. So increasingly, homebrew competitions are partnering with local breweries to award a chance to brew to whoever wins the Best of Show Award. On this episode, I sit down with Oleg Spierko, the winner of T-Oaked, or Thousand Oaked Homebrewers 2017 Romancing the Beer Competition, and Sean Smith of Institution Ale Company to talk about Oleg's best of show, Festivus Feats of Strength. So sit back, we're going to talk the miracle of brewing. But first, a message from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Join the American Homebrewers Association in November and claim an out-of-this-world offer. Use the discount code 5STAR, F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R, to receive a free 32-ounce bottle of IO Star sanitizer when you purchase a one-year membership. Get your free IO Star with the promo code 5STAR and find holiday inspiration for great gifts, craft beer recipes, beer and food pairing suggestions, and much more by visiting homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental today. Hurry, this offer won't last. Get the details at homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. All right, I am sitting here at Institution Ale Company uh, in Camarillo, California, and I have before me two fine gentlemen and three fine glasses of beer. Guys, why don't you introduce yourselves? My name is Oleg Spirko, and I'm uh, the guy who provided the recipe for this beer. My name is Sean Smith. I'm one of the co-owners of Institution. All right. And so let's talk, uh, Sean, a little bit uh, about Institution, because, I mean, this is a brand new facility for you guys, a relatively brand new. How long, how long have you been open as a company, and how long have you been here in this building? Our brewery opened in September 2013, so we've been open for almost four years. The spot we're in now, uh, we're almost about to celebrate the one-year anniversary of that. So uh, we've been here since June 2016. 
And I understand there was a sort of a brewery upgrade. Yeah. So we did the nano brewery thing at our old brewery, which we were there for a little over two years. It was a three barrel system, um, tap room on site, very small brewery making 90 gallons at a time. And the facility that we're interviewing at today is a much larger uh, three vessel, 15 barrel brew house. And we have around 12,000 square feet or so. So it's about four times as big as our last spot. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you, you have a impressive size tasting room back there, plus a lot of room to grow your tanks. Yeah, we've got a nice cellar pad there that we haven't filled up yet. And uh, we've got a kitchen here and a patio and a lab. So definitely more upgraded brewery. There you, you actually have the, the toys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the reason that we're here is the Festivus Pizza Strength Beer by Oleg. Oleg's beer was selected as part of a program competition from uh, Teot, right? Or Thousand Oak Tone Brewers. Yeah, exactly. So again, uh, we're, we may be in Camarillo right now, but we are relatively next door to Thousand Oak, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. So how did you get involved with the competition? Uh, I was a member of the Thousand Oaks Home Brewer Club uh, when we were starting the build out of the brewery. And we had pretty much just gotten up and running by the time they hosted their first Romance in the Beer Homebrew competition. And since I had uh, known them and known the president of the club, they uh, graciously offered us to, you know, award the prize for the the Pro-Am. And we were happy to partake and brew a homebrew recipe at our brewery. And it's just been an annual tradition ever since. And, and so what, this is three years going on now? Yeah, this is the third year. All right. And so what were the other two that you did? The first year was a cream ale that had a lot of like wit beer spices. So it was a cream ale with like some coriander um, and orange peel. And then the second one was, oh, I'm sorry, this is the fourth year. The second one was IPA. That was a mosaic and citra hopped IPA. And then uh, last year's, which was the first one we brewed at our newer brewery, was a Schwartz beer. And then this is the fourth one, which is a, a spiced kind of holiday spice stout. Before we switch over to Oleg, as a brewery owner, what do you what do you get out of doing the the program thing? Obviously, it's 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 obvious what a homebrewer would get out of like Ooh, I get to go play on the Pro Tools. But well, for us, it's just it's really fun and it's kind of getting back to our roots a little bit. But yeah, it's just a really good time every year we do it. We uh, you know get the homebrew out here. They're usually pretty stoked to kind of brew this recipe on a bigger system and see how commercial breweries work. Um, a lot of these homebrewers are super talented, so we pick up good information from them on their techniques on how you know they did the recipe or you know kind of their thoughts on why they did what they did. So it's just good uh, bounce information off one another and just more than anything, just super fun. Awesome. All right. Well, and then Oleg, we got you now on the mic. All right. Let's talk a little bit about your history as a home brewer. Like, how did you get started brewing? So I think as many other uh, brewers, my wife got me a kit for Christmas about two years ago. And um, basically, I just uh, took off from there and you know i've been brewing for just a little bit over two years and let me ask does your wife like a great many other spouses who have bought them that first beer kit ever go what have i done exactly she probably regrets the decision now our garage is now a brewery so uh, she probably would like to get it back to where, where it started <laughs> <laughs> and oh you're down in san diego yeah. and uh, what do you do for a living i'm a physicist i work at the U university of california san diego i uh, see he's a smart one it really is fascinating to me just how scientifically and technically minded brewers are typically. I know that we have a lot of the sort of the hippy dippy type thing that comes from Charlie, but even Charlie was a nuclear engineer. This hobby definitely has that uh, appeal to a certain crowd. For sure. And a lot of people uh, in my uh, neck of the woods in San Diego in Guelph, uh, which is uh, uh, my uh, homebrew club, I'm surprised how many engineers and scientists, chemists are brewing and uh, you know bring this analytical approach to, to brewing. So now let's ask, what 
appeals to you about brewing, given that you are physics man? A lot of the process is still really fascinating to me. Um, the main idea, the key idea that you can take basically sugar water and turn it into delicious drink um, with help of some yeast is still somewhat magical. And um, uh, I think that I'm still learning and it's a lot of fun. What do you think has been the biggest lesson that you learned? One of the biggest lessons, I think, is patience. So I was a very impatient man, and I still am to some extent, but I think brewing teaches you that you have to let things take time. Um, and I think that's the biggest lesson. But also, the I think, the sort of innovative part of brewing, where you can experiment with recipes, experiment with different uh, approaches or equipment, uh, that's very fulfilling to me to come home and where I can still tinker with some toys and things like that. Now, I understand there's also something sort of unique about you entering this particular competition. Yeah, so I, I kind of, it's maybe a little bit arrogant to admit, but this is my first competition ever. Um, I was brewing, like I said, for a little bit less than two years when I brewed this beer, and I was um, I wanted to try to enter things in competitions to get feedback. Uh, I was a little bit nervous because I thought that, you know, it's going to hurt my feelings when I get to see the score sheets, and I was really shocked to find that this beer won... Um, and I know there's a lot of sort of randomness, but um, I was very pleasantly surprised to, to see this result. And it's all downhill from... from. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, you're, you're never going to match this uh, exactly. th this result ever again. I'm going to be disappointed with every single competition from now on. Dang it, I didn't win this time. What have I done? My beer is now suddenly bad. All right, tell us about the Festivus Feats of Strength. Uh, so it's basically an um, Imperial Stout, even though probably as far as Imperial Stouts go, it's a little bit on the lower side in terms of ABV. Uh, and it's, uh, so it's a little bit strange to drink uh, a holiday Imperial Stout in, in June, but in so Southern California, it's, the weather is about the same in December and June. We're in Southern California. There are no rules for us. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's uh, very heavily dominated by spices. Uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of times when people talk about the recipes, they start with sort of chronological order of how the beer is brewed. It's malt and hops and then yeast and then finally uh, any spices or ferment post-fermentation additions. Mm -hmm. Uh, in this beer, in order to understand, you have to start from the back and ask what was the last thing that was added, um, I think. So what you taste in primarily is five different spices, and it violates basically every rule of brewing on the ones or every rule that you have to simplify the recipe. This has a lot of uh, different things going on at the same time. Well, just remember, sometimes you have to break the rules in order to make something happen. I think it is in the, in the spirit of experimental brewing. Um, uh, essentially, the, the five main sort of players uh, in terms of taste that you, that you taste here are chocolate, vanilla, uh, and coffee. Mm -hmm. And also you have a little bit of pasilla peppers that gives you the heat yep. and the cinnamon uh, that is maybe less perceptible, um, and that's by design. Well, I was going to say, I mean, when you first take a sip of this beer, I mean, uh, the very first notes that you get are that chocolate and the vanilla and, and sort of those rich, you know, kind of sweet dessert type flavors. And the cinnamon, the cinnamon's in there. But yeah, as you keep drinking from the glass, that pasilla keeps coming up and up and up and like to the point, like even now, like I'm about a third of the way through the glass here. And by the way, the these are really awesome glasses. That heat is still existing, and as I walk away from the glass, it's still there. So it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to take another sip now because I've got that heat. Yeah. So it's interesting to see now. Why? Why were you trying to do like a, a Mexican mole type thing? It was uh, somewhat inspired by Chocabeza, um, uh, which is another similar type beer that has that mixes spices and chocolate. Um, in uh, in that case, in a sweet stout, and that's um, and, that, and that's collaboration. Stone. That's collaboration between Stone and uh, Chris Bunker, another member of my uh, of my uh, brew club. Uh, and I was brewing this not for competition, but for uh, basically my own taste. But I wanted to brew this as a sort of more robust, more roasty version, slightly higher BV, more like an imperial stout. 
Uh, and I think the challenge in making these beers is that you have a lot of these different ingredients. And uh, I'm not going to say balance, but you want to have a symphony of or harmony of all these uh, all these flavors where not a single one stands out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, my goal was in designing this recipe is to make sure that the heat from pasilla peppers doesn't overwhelm. And maybe on the first sip, you don't even notice it. Mm-hmm. And it's only on the third or fourth sip that you begin to see a little bit of the warmth that comes from the, from the peppers. I'm actually not a big fan of, uh, you know, spiced habanero or, you know, chili beers myself because I can barely finish a single pint of them. Uh, but I think this one is, is designed so that you can have one pint and maybe come back to another one, if, uh, especially if you're sipping it at a, you know, at a rate, at a decent rate, while sitting at the fire and you know, Christmas time. Well, I mean, and I think those sort of sweet flavors that you have up front with the chocolate and vanilla really kind of help, you know, pull that along, right? Because I mean, if this were like, I think the problem with so many pepper beers is that the pepper beers are just mm, pepper. You know, this has some front characters to it that are kind of smoothing that out and then allowing you, allowing you to ride into the heat. That's right. And so the sweetness from, so vanilla can mask a lot of the <clears throat> sort of harsher flavors in general. And the coffee and the chocolate, I think those are sort of more traditional uh, flavors for, you know, imagine the, Know, vanilla chocolate cake or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but the, And I think that plays very well with the spices in, in this particular combination. We've talked the spices. We, I think we, uh, we're going to neglect things if we don't talk about, you know, okay, how strong is this beer and what's in the malt bill? Uh, so this one is uh, 8.6% uh, ABV. Uh, the original recipe, I think, was about 9.3%, uh, so a little bit stronger, but it's all in, the, in that ballpark of about 9% ABV beer. And by the way, can I, can I just say, you were saying earlier that, oh, this is on the weak side for an imperial stout. It's like, man, I think from a traditional imperial stout points, this is a strong imperial stout. It's just, it's the American side of the fence. Well, just- they go from 8 to 12%. If you look at the American imperial stout, so this one is, if you if you ask a lot of people, they'll say, unless it's a 10% plus, it's not imperial stout. And I know some people who believe in that. And, oh, yeah. uh, the, the American craft brewer lover. Yeah. yeah. Gotta love them. Modern brewer. <laughs> Uh, I think, uh, Drew, you'll be surprised that, or not surprised to hear that the malt uh, and everything else is also somewhat complex. So I have about 70% base malt, and I would have used uh, all of it as Mary's Otter, one of your favorite um, Absolutely. grains. Um, in this ca- particular case, just for logistical reasons, I used most of it as uh, Mary's Otter, but I also matched it with some pale malt just because uh, US2 row, just because what I, that's what I had lying around. I don't think it makes, I don't think it changes the beer in any way. And then I had uh, the remaining 30% is about equal parts uh, of about, you know, 4 to 5.5%, 6% of uh, six other molds. And it's uh, Munich 10 and Caramel Crystal 60. And that's to give a little bit of this toasty sort of, you know, cookie type uh, flavor. I have roasted barley for, col- uh, for color and also for uh, to give that roasty um, uh, background. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also have uh, flaked and um, flaked barley and flaked oats. Mm-hmm. To give a little bit of creaminess and um, in in a, in mouthfeel, uh, and also have a little bit of chocolate malt, which uh, sort of builds up the base for the for the coffee that that it's aged on, so to to sort of um, help boost that coffee character. All right, and then so we go from there. I'm assuming the hopping is relatively uh, relatively restrained. On yeah, this so yeah, this is about 50 IBU overall, and uh, most of the bitterness comes from the uh, about 40 IBU comes from the 60 minute edition. I used Northern Brewer, but it probably doesn't matter. You can use any clean hop for that. And then I had a little bit of uh, East uh, Ken Golden's at uh, 10 minutes. That gives another 10 IBU. Uh, but again, it's not a hop-dominated beer, and the malt character has to support all the all this all the spices. That's basically the emphasis here. See, if, if for me, I would I would put in Fuckles just to irritate Denny. And then yeast. What sort of yeast are we using? Uh, so for the yeast, uh, so this particular, so original recipe, uh, I was using um, 
the English L, WLP002. Mm-hmm. And I've done some experiments where I would split in different batches, and I found that English L uh, worked the best because it, uh, it's especially the one that under attenuates a little bit, so you get a little bit of residual sweetness that counters some of the spices. In this case, we actually brewed it with uh, with California L, which is the house yeast WLP001, mm-hmm. uh, because that's what um, you know Ryan and Sean use here at Institution L's. Uh, and that worked out really well because they adjusted a little bit the mash um, uh, temperature to get to give a little bit more residual sugars to give basically exactly the same uh, effect, but uh, through the mash rather than through the yeast. And then how do we get the other flavors involved? I mean, we talked about the spices. So we got coffee yeah. and chocolate. So basically I used um, vanilla beans and uh, pasilla peppers in a tincture. And I would split the batch in, uh, in sub-batches and I would basically try to add uh, various amounts until I get the flavor right. And so I have the notes, but it really depends on the ingredients. So essentially well, we have to... peppers. I mean, exactly. It, you know, peppers, that heat level varies wildly. Exactly. And the same thing with vanilla, depending on the, the type of vanilla beans you use, you may get uh, very different uh, strengths. Uh, so even though I can tell you exactly the numbers that I use, it's probably not as useful uh, to duplicate precisely. You have to basically go by taste. And so I did the tincture, and uh, I had to be very careful with cinnamon. I wanted to have a little bit of that sort of holiday, you know, hint of holiday ale in there, and I think cinnamon reminds of, of reminds us of the of the holiday ale. But I didn't want it to be overwhelming; it could be a very strong character. And my wife personally hates cinnamon, so I wanted to be really on the low side for that for that reason. And then for the coffee, I just went with uh, just adding straight cold brew. But guys in Chisinau, they they added beans, and I think that actually comes out uh, really nicely as well. The beans went into the fermenter or into the mash. Uh, the beans went into the bright tank. So, oh, okay. so after we had crashed the beer, um, basically uh, 48 hours before racking it into kegs, we uh, just uh, dropped the beans into like essentially an oversized hot bag and let them steep in there for 24 to 48 hours. So, you, I mean, effectively, you use the the ethanol in the beer to make a tincture just in situ. Right, exactly. Yeah, there we go. And maybe I should add that the one fascinating thing that I found about this beer is I had a number of bottles that I was aging through, you know, the remaining, the last, I don't know, six months since Christmas, is that the flavor of the beer really changes uh, month by month uh, because of these different uh, spices basically decaying at very different rates. And so you, uh, at the beginning, you, you know, you may get a little bit more coffee and more, mm-hmm. more heat from the peppers, but as that decays, you may get a little bit more vanilla. And so this trade-off of the flavors is very interesting to, to watch as the beer progresses. All right. And so now we have the recipe. You entered into the competition. Yeah, won the competition. And you're like, oh, how'd that happen? So, yeah, so the, the, the most exciting day for me was actually uh, being invited by, uh, by Sean and Ryan and um, their dad, Roger, to come here to Institution L and uh, participate in the, in a, um, in a, Pro-Am Brew Day, where I brewed 15, gallon, uh, 50 barrels of it uh, right here uh, in Camarilla. I was going to say, if it was 15 gallons, we'd already blown through it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for everybody uh, on the podcast, as I arrived here, it was just before the tapping of this beer, and you know there were a few people. It, the the taste, the taste room was busy, but there were a few people in line, but nothing outrageous. And right about 2 o'clock, right when the, the tapping was supposed to occur, suddenly you turn around and the line is almost all the way out the you know the main part of the brewery. So that's per- fairly impressive. So, yeah, we would have gone through 15 gallons uh, by this point in time, no problem. Yeah, exactly. It's 15, uh, 15 barrels, um, which is about 500 gallons, uh, which is kind of mind-blowing to me because it's 100 times, everything was 100 times more than uh, the, the typical 5-gallon batch that we use here, uh, use in, in homebrew. Uh but that day was probably one of the most remarkable days in, in the last decade of my life because it's basically as if, 
if you, as a kid, you could walk into a candy shop and, you know, and make all kinds of candy. That, that's basically the level of excitement that I felt. Um, the guys here at Institutionnel let me uh, play with the equipment at the, at the industrial size. Well, I was going to say, you basically walked into Willy Wonka factory. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So now, did anything change about the recipe when you guys brought it up? I mean, you talked obviously about yeast choice and I think uh, the primary base malt, right? But like, did any of those percentages change? Like, did you use less roasted malts or anything? Like, because people always talk about that, like, oh, no, you got to scale those differently. So the amazing thing for me is that when, um, you know, Sean and Ryan got in touch with me about brewing this beer, they basically copied my recipe exactly. And so they had to buy a lot of, um, uh, a lot of malts that they probably normally don't use. They had to buy uh, hops that they don't normally use. I think the only subtle differences uh, were the choice of the yeast. They use house yeast instead of the, uh, the English ale yeast that I used. And uh, obviously, they had to get slightly different ingredients to, for the scale up uh, in terms of uh, probably uh, vanilla beans and things like that. In the end, it turned out very similar to what I remember now from, from tasting it about six months ago. Uh, it, was, it is slightly lower in gravity, but I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between 8.6 and 9.3. Well, I was going to say, we are here in June, early June. When was this beer brewed? Uh, this was brewed on, uh, I believe, May 2nd uh, of, of this year. So it's, uh, it's, so it's a little over a month old. And when you were doing your, your homebrew, like when did you really first start uh, tasting it and loving it? So I, I brewed it on uh, uh, November 29th of last year uh, for Christmas. But unfortunately, I was gone for Christmas uh, visiting my family in uh, East Coast. So I really started tasting it probably in uh, early January. And it was uh, pretty good back then. But I think it really peaked around February, March. And then it started sort of fading away a little bit. Yeah, well, and that, and that begs the question of, uh, so, Sean, you guys have 15 barrels of this. Is it going to make it the two to three months to get to where Oleg thought the sweet spot was? <laughs> we'll probably hang on to a couple kegs because it is just such a interesting beer to see it evolve. So um, when we have a cool beer like this that we know um, is going to transform, we'll, we'll hang on to some six barrels at least and, you know, kind of tap them every month and kind of, you know, see how it tastes, but the bulk of it, that'll be on tap now. Um, a beer like this, which is really popular style of beer for our customers. I mean, the spice stouts and the imperial stouts are, are really popular and we're actually not super stout heavy on our menu right now because it being summer, we have a lot of pale ales and IPAs and stuff. Walking out in the tasting room, it's like 20 variants of IPA. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of like what the people want, but you do have those people who no matter what time of year it is no matter what the weather's like and like we said southern california yeah exactly so this thing will definitely appeal to a lot of people so i imagine the bulk of it will be gone within the next you know three weeks or so all right uh, and only when you did the brood day like how i mean i've seen some program things where it's like you know the oh hey come on to the brewery we'll brew your beer come help us with it and like you end up doing grains out or anything yeah, or you end up uh, sitting in the tasting room having a beer while everybody else is doing the work. How uh, how involved were you during the brew day? Like, what were you doing? So I milled part of the grains, but a lot of the grains were pre-milled, right. which is uh, nice because I don't think I wanted to, you know, uh, do it for the, most of the morning. Uh, I did uh, uh, everything here is pretty much automatic. So um, the, Brian, the head brewmaster, he showed me around, and I got to push some buttons, but I uh, there was very little uh, manual labor involved and like my uh, homebrew uh, situation where I actually have to do a lot of uh, you know lifting things and pouring them and but yeah it, it was it was actually quite a lot of uh, you know a lot of fun uh, the amount of actual work that I did it was probably not as uh, as in you know as intense in terms of manual labor but I did get to you know clip some valves and 
you know, push some buttons on the automatic system. See, this is one of the things I think is a problem with the modern microbrewery scene. Back in my day when we were doing program beers, you know, they invited you into the brewery just so they could make you shovel out the grains because nobody had any way to get rid of the grains automatically. It was real work. <laughs> no, but I did get to watch the employees here to shovel out the... <laughs> A lot of a lot of grains, uh, and our system it grains out on its own too. So even the actual employees who should be doing the the grunt work, it's still a pretty sweet system where you know it's got the automatic rakes for you know mashing in. It's got the rakes to mash out. It's got everything you know hard pipe to transfer over. I mean, there's not there's not a lot of uh, like you said manual labor to do, but it is all like touchscreen. So you're basically just monitoring the beer as it goes, checking speeds of pumps, how fast warts flowing from one vessel to mm. another it's a lot of monitoring yeah. grumpy old man shouts at the uh, shouts at the sun ah, back in my day back in my day you guys you kids have it easy let's just uh, quickly talk uh, so we've talked the brewing we've talked the recipe what do you think is different between the beer you made and the beer that's in the glass in front of us because you know you, you always talk about breweries spend a lot of time like trying to dial in the recipes to get the same flavor profile from a different brew rig and this is obviously about as different of a brew rig as you can get so what do you uh, what do you think is different other than the alcohol level we talked that it's, it's lower in this one uh, i actually think it's pretty well nailed it, you know i bet you that if i save the bottle it would be basically a clone if i could preserve it in exactly the same state uh, right now, I think the uh, the pasilla peppers come off a little bit uh, strong, but that was the case with my beer as well. Uh, and I think maybe it has a touch more vanilla flavor uh, than my original beer uh, had, but I, th- I like it. And I think I would um, now maybe tweak the recipe and try to actually reproduce this version as well. I mean, this is very clean. And like I said, I mean, that pasilla... The Pasilla character, yeah, I mean, it's totally dominant right now in the back end, but it's not dominant in a way that makes you go, get this off my tongue. You know, like I've had some habanero beers or jalapeno beers or that sort of thing where you're like, why are we drinking this? And this, I mean, the heat is there, but the heat is not a bad thing. So, I mean, I think that's uh, that's pretty remarkable. I think I've only ever had like one other chili beer in the past that I really actually dug, and that was uh, uh, Harold Gerbranson's jalapeno wheat that he did years ago for an NHC. So obviously we have here, you know, kind of this big spicy stout and that's fantastic, but you have this competition that you've now said basically like, hi, we'll, we'll brew your beer. Is there anything as a brewery owner that you would say, I'm not brewing that? Definitely. So when we do the competition, we have a couple conditions, um, as far as the brew that gets, you know, pro-amped here and it's, we don't do anything wild or of course anything that you know, could take years to make because, you know, we do it every year. We don't be like, hey, you know, we did this barrel aged out that, you know, it's going to sit for nine months. So come back in another year and try it. So we make sure it's a beer that we could turn around pretty quickly so that, you know, people win the competition. Then, you know, a month or two later, they come and brew it. Then a month or two later, it's on tap. So so you can get the excitement for it. Right. Yeah. We don't want to, you know, so that's one of the things we kind of look for. Um, and if someone does brew a killer beer that, you know, is kind of agreed as the best of show beer, just doesn't fit with the pro-am. It hasn't happened yet, but the way that we've kind of decided is we'll let that person win. You know, we could do a different recipe with them or a non-barrel aged version or, you know, something like that so that they still get the experience. But Come come in, work with us. We'll we'll find something better. Yeah. And, um, you know, and we have um, a co-sponsor of the uh, competition is the Lab Brewing in Agora Hills. And yeah. And so Roger brews like a Belgian or like a a wild ale or whatever, you know, wins from that category. So, um, just because we don't do a lot of, uh, 
we don't do a lot of like um, spontaneous beers or wild beers or nothing like that. So we wouldn't want to introduce that into our brewery for, you know, the one time one off type of thing. So we make sure it's uh, as long as it's a clean beer that, you know, doesn't take more than a couple months to, you know, get on tap then we're down for whatever. The other thing, of course, is a lot of people like they look at the program thing and they go, oh, hey, you know, the GABF has a program thing. Would you ever take any of these beers up into the GABF program or have you have you done that or are you going to do that or have you thought about doing that? I haven't looked into it a ton. Um, when we normally do this competition, it doesn't always line up with GABF. Um, in this case, this beer is probably pretty durable and, you know, it could be rebrewed or it could age really well. But typically with GABF, the Pro-Am stuff goes like super fast. I mean, the way GABF is now the most, you know, uh, hard to get entry is for a Pro-Am and it fills up really fast and you have a limited number of entries and stuff. So we usually GABF like our core beers um, when we do enter GABF. Um, but uh, no, we've never seriously looked into doing like a, a Pro-Am as part of the GABF. Right. Well, there you go. And, and of course, now since this is the Festivus beer, I say that uh, we have now had the feats of strength, and we must now move on to the airing of grievances. <laughs> Any grievances? No? All right, good. We're happy. All right, well, hey, uh, everybody, a uh, really great uh, great time here, uh, sitting here having a very lovely uh, spicy beer, but you know, not overly so. Yeah, a nice little imperial stout that is going to definitely, I think, age out very well if you hold on to some of it. Uh, but uh, thank you, Sean, and thank you, Oleg, so much for taking the time and talking with us and inviting me out here to go talk about this. And uh, hopefully, uh, guys, remember, if you get the chance to enter a competition that has a program aspect to it, you really should, if for no other reason than the fact that it'll be that fun little experience. I mean, like Oleg said, yeah, it's like ending up in the candy store and, and being able to play around. And for the professional brewers as well, you know, I mean, it's a change of pace. It's not our pale ale again or IPA again. It's something different. So it's a win-win for everybody. So thank you, guys. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this exploration of what makes program experiences so much fun for both brewers, pro, and home. Now, have you ever participated in a program, tried a really good one? I mean, do you even like the whole, hey, let's brew as a prize thing? I mean, I know some people prefer to win physical prizes. So just let us know. But remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, on just about every homebrewing forum known to mankind. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast from. Click the Amazon, AHA, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Axel's Angels and the Desi Strong Foundation, funding the fight against pediatric cancer. So until next time, remember, the brew is out there. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch 2-in-1 distillation system operates in either pot still or reflux mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug and play. 
the Airstill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. 